You like Huey Lewis in the news? Their early work was a little too new wave for my taste. But when sports came out in 83, I think they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. In 87, Huey released this. Four, their most accomplished album. I think their undisputed masterpiece is Hip to Be Square. A song so catchy, most people probably don't listen to the lyrics, but they should, because it's not just about the pleasures of conformity and the importance of trends, it's also a personal statement about the band itself. Hey, Paul! Classic movie reboots, so Hollywood doesn't have to. You're welcome. We're like the Postmates for reboots. You yeah. want a reboot? Just hit this podcast, we should scroll through, pick what you want, and we'll get it for you. We should charge an outrageous delivery charge. Just give us your credit, like take a picture of your credit card, front and back, <laughs> and then send it to us. <laughs> we promise we won't do anything weird yeah. with it. <laughs> uh, guys, I am Brian Flynn, and desperately trying to make a reservation at Dorcia. Great sea urchin ceviche. It's Kenna Trent. Kenna, how are you? I'm so excited for this episode. We're doing something fun and cool and interesting. Kenna and I will pick our top five favorite characters from the 2000 horror, thriller, black comedy, satire, cult classic, Uh American Psycho. However, unlike other episodes, we're breaking format and we're recasting it as if it was made in a contemporary setting. 1987. American Psycho was made in the year 2000, based on a book that was written in 91, I think. 90, yeah. Takes place in 87, and so we wanted to take the movie and cast it as if it was made in the year it takes place. And it's really interesting, um, because, and we'll get into more of this, I found a a huge crop of actors who were way too young for this role. Oh, yes. And a huge crop of actors who were too old for this role. Mm Mm-hmm. And a very gray area in the middle where I had to select from like a handful of people. I had to like come up with a a sort of algorithm to <laughs> search for once I figured out how to search for the people of the right age. Yeah. Because for a while I was just looking up movies that were popular in 87 to be like, who was a star? Yeah. Or who became a star in 87? Yeah. And... Honestly, it was a lot of 23-year-olds. Right. Okay. We'll get into it. But before before we do that, we got to get to some reboot news. And we have a lot of reboot news. So we'll try and uh, hit these as much as we can. Um, I'll just start. Let me do this one. (laughs) (laughs) Cersei. Saoirse Ronan, Timothy Chalamet are in talks to starring Greta Gerwig's Little Women adaptation. How do we not see this coming? Greta Gerwig has chosen her next directing gig, and she's bringing along some of her ladybird talent. Gerwig will direct the feature adaptation of Louisa May Alcott's classic Little Women for Columbia Pictures. Saoirse Ronan and Timothy Chalamet, who starred in Gerwig's solo directorial debut, are in talks for the coming-of-age feature along with Meryl Streep, Emma Stone, and Florence Pugh. Little Women follows teenage sisters Amy, Joe, Beth, and Meg and their mother in Civil War era Massachusetts as they navigate first love and their first holiday without their father, a traveling minister. These kind of movies are never really my bag, but when I read this, I was I was so excited. I I I don't know why. 
it's really interesting that, I mean, I honestly don't remember <laughs> Little Women. I know I've read the book and I've seen the Winona Ryder movie, but um, they just made a television. It was either a miniseries or a movie for some cable channel that was Little Women. And so it was kind of shocking to be like, okay, now Greta Gerwig's going to do the version that you actually all want to see. Um, but the cast is star-studded. Um, actually, now that I think about it, speaking of American Psycho, Christian Bale was in the Winona Ryder Little Women. Teddy, we have to talk about this reasonably. I have loved you since the moment I clapped eyes on you. What could be more reasonable than to marry you? We kill each other. Nonsense. Oh, neither of us can keep our temper. I can, unless provoked. Was he? Yes. I haven't seen that in a long, long time. Um, his career, pr honestly, pre-American Psycho is hilarious because really you're like strange. oh thomas in pocahontas anyway <laughs> so <laughs> i think this is gonna be a lot of fun she's gonna i mean i hate to be like she's gonna make it quirky but that's kind of what we're expecting out of her and i think that's gonna be cool yeah she's gonna take something that because i think people are kind of done with this civil war era stories it's just not mm -hmm. the time for it and i think she could really actually make it very interesting and uh human us. Absolutely. And if for some miracle Greta Gerwig is listening to us right now, please give them all really thick, trashy Boston accents. <laughs> that wow. would just make me as a native wow. mass hall. That would just fill me with joy. No, I, you know what's <laughs> fun about this is I just feel like in the 90s, these kind of movies like like the adaptation of like classic literary works mm -hmm. were rampant. Yeah. And now very few and far between because it's a lot about like it is a lot about intellectual property, and obviously mm -hmm. we talk about rebooting that intellectual property. But I don't know. I, I, I feel like a lot of the classic literary movies haven't really been as prevalent as they used to be. Which honestly makes them ripe for... Because the thing that makes something classic is that it has enduring themes, and it's something that it doesn't matter the time. You can, uh, you can still create something interesting with it. So it, a lot of this stuff is kind of ripe for a remake. Don't worry, yeah. guys. We're going to do the Crucible. Is Timothy Chalamet our new Leo? Bite your tongue. <laughs> okay, let's move on then. <laughs> to uh, Joaquin Phoenix. The Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie starts shooting in September. The Joker origin movie is officially go at Warner Brothers. Joaquin Phoenix recently finalized his deal as a star as the arch nemesis of Batman and shooting is set to begin in September in New York. Todd Phillips is directing the film and co-wrote the script, which the studio describes as being a, quote, exploration of a man disregarded by society that is not only a gritty character study, but also a broader cautionary tale. Scott Silver co-wrote the script. Warners has a possible second Joker movie in the works, as Jared Leto, who played the character in Suicide Squad, now has his own solo film project in development. What the hell is going on with... You know what I like? In, in our past episodes, we have referred to this comic book universe as those comic book movies <laughs> and i'm going to keep that moniker until they figure out what, what they're doing is going on because those comic book movies not to be confused with the fan favorite marvel cinematic oh universe <clears throat> um and and even some of the fox marvel movies the, the these comic book movies i don't know what the plan is other than there is no plan it's that's why I was so I kept reading this article looking sort of for a point when they were going to mention the Suicide Squad Joker storyline, hoping that they would be like, everything's been put aside. This is a new direction. And so when I finally reached the point when they were like, eh, they're just good. They just got another one in development. I was like, this is 
insanity. You helped me by erasing my mind what infated memories I have. Oh. You left me in a black hole of rage and confusion. It's insanity that this is being pushed through so quickly and they've still got this other solo Joker movie on the back burner just in case. It's it's something that happens in comic books sometimes where you have like a main storyline universe going one direction and then a creator will come in and be like, I have this tale for this character that has absolutely no part in this main universe. So we'll just put it as like an Elseworlds or an offshoot or like a one shot. And that's what this feels like cinematically, but it I don't think it's going to work. I think it's going to be wildly confusing yeah. to the general audience, people who aren't familiar with the, the whole history of Warners and their handling of these properties, as well as kids. Like, I don't know why. Do we think this movie is for kids? Well, what's also weird is, I don't think I mentioned it in here, but isn't Martin Scorsese a like producer on this film? What? I think I Martin didn't Scor- read that, but that might have been in there. Siri is Martin Scorsese. <laughs> she didn't hear me. Yeah. Todd Phillips and Martin Scorsese's Joker origin movie will reportedly go forward. I knew that they were like in tandem. And it's also weird that like Todd Phillips, famed director of like The Hangover. I mean, I get I get it's kind of interesting to get a comedy guy to come in and take one of these characters. I mean, Jan, John Favreau basically created the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And he's... A, That's true. Um, but... <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know why this exists. It's very confusing. I'll say this just about the history of the character. So we watched American Psycho for this. Mm -hmm. And I found myself two days later watching The Dark Knight. Because I always have time for The Dark Knight. Right. And it is, it sort of feels like we got to retire the jersey. It feels like... Uh. The performance and just the circumstance of everything that happened with Heath Ledger, it's iconic, it's beautiful, it's disturbing, it's incredible. What are we expecting out of giving him so much, giving the character so much more? I really feel like, especially it being still kind of close, I feel like we got to really put it, we got to be careful. If tomorrow I tell the press that like a gangbanger will get shot, or a truckload of soldiers will be blowing up. Nobody panics. Because it's all part of the plan. But when I say that one little old mare will die, well, then everyone loses their minds. I mean, this feels weird just because Suicide Squad came out two years ago. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I forget about Suicide Squad because it was really bad. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Let's get um, out of here. Yeah, let's let's take a hard left turn into some more disappointing news. Bogus ugh, these headlines. Bogus production problems might stop Bill and Ted 3 from happening. Don't be upset. The adventures of Bill S. Preston and Theodore Logan might not be continuing after all, and some of the least radical news we've gotten in a while. What publication is this? Gizmodo. Okay. Just a couple of months ago, word was that a third Bill and Ted movie, Bill and Ted Face the Music, was a sure thing with the main cast ready to reprise their roles as older but not wiser heroes. Now star Keanu Reeves isn't so sure. Talking to Yahoo Entertainment, he said, I don't know if Bill and Ted 3 is a reality. We've been trying for a long time to get that film made and it still has its challenges. Those challenges apparently are the normal logistical concerns that can torpedo so many movies. Keanu said... I really love the characters and I think we have a good story to tell. 
part of it is business stuff, financing, rights, deals. It's nothing creative. I feel like that's a better sign than if it was the other way around. The good news is that when like EW or whoever did the big sort of reunion photo shoot and they brought everybody out again, um, I think that gave it a lot of momentum with the fans, which will hopefully help. But this is the kind of stuff that will send a movie into development hell, maybe never to be seen again. Yeah, it does kind of reek of the um, Ghostbusters reboots that like tried to come out. Movies will literally disappear. Yeah. I'm talking to you, Mad Max sequel. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm a little more hopeful. I just feel like if the creatives involved want it, they'll keep going at it. But yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. Like a, nothing kills a project more like a studio exec. So then people getting really like high and mighty about who has the rights and who has the guys, people in Hollywood have huge egos. Not like you needed me to tell you that. And it can get really rough when you're talking about logistics. Do you think maybe they would go rogue and do something sort of like the karate kid show that came out on YouTube, which I don't understand how that got made. I Cobra Kai. <laughs> Cobra Kai. That's true. Starring I, the original cast. I here's the thing. I think that they are so on board. The whole team, the whole creative team is so on board. It's possible. Ted, it's the Grim Reaper, dude. Oh, how's it hanging death? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're done with that. Um, Okay, guys, and last but not least, Miles Teller nabs Goose's son role in Top Gun sequel. These headlines. We <laughs> Miles Teller has landed the role of Goose's son in Top Gun 2 and will star opposite Tom Cruise, reprising his role from the 1986 original as the hotshot pilot with the call sign Maverick. Teller beat out Nicholas Holt and Glenn Powell for the role. That's not that's not necessary, guys. Dylan O'Brien and Austin Butler were among those in the mix in a previous stage. Poor guys. <laughs> It's not like they got called out. I'm sure this is one of those things where some of these guys were in like, not in like talks, talks. Yeah. But there was some sort of, that always happens. Um, I just love that we are going to talk so much about the Top Gun sequel until it happens and you could not care less. I got to rewatch this movie again. I got to find some joint Um, or else this is just going to be brutal for me. I feel like the important thing about Miles Teller being cast in anything, especially an iconic role, which arguably Goose's son is iconic as he is the way that his memory lives on. It's a creed. It's a creed situation. They're stealing from creed. Thank God this movie isn't called Goose. Um, (laughs) Well, the first one's not called Maverick, but I would definitely see a Top Gun sequel. It's called Goose. (laughs) No, 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 no. There's two O's in Goose. What if it was? What if it was like Creed, and it was called Goose, and his son gets like mentored by Tom Cruise, who ends up having cancer, and (laughs) but then he dies. They just just completely rip it off. Um, here's the thing. Miles Teller's a talented guy, mm-hmm. not a a great person, mm-hmm. you which know, is a little bittersweet because I look at him and I'm like, I think he's going to do okay, but I just do not like him very there much. There are several movies that we have done where I was like, oh, don't make me put him in my yeah, past. No. And I, and I don't because I don't know of a, I mean, maybe RDJ back, back in his like lowest points, but right. like- to That's be so young and so talented and have such a career and to like really throw away a lot of public support like that is really strange in this day and age. I I I I think the kid maybe has just gone too hard too fast. But like you read, did you ever read that article where he talked about? 
I just oh, shit. I'm, I'm gonna I just looked it up because I was like, if you if you're listening to this and you're like, I love Miles Teller, Whiplash was amazing. You're right, but go read. It's an Esquire article with him, and it starts out like this. This is what they wrote about him. You're sitting across from Miles Teller at the Luminary Restaurant in Atlanta and trying to figure out if he's a dick. <laughs> Jesus. And it really just gets worse. He does not help himself at all. Yeah. Um, just in how he talks about women specifically. Yeah. It's it's not good. But um, yeah, I mean, I I don't think he's I don't think he's untalented. I think he's gonna be fine in this. So Yeah. All right. Well, that's all the news we got this week. So why don't we uh, jump right into our reboot? Kenna, why don't you let them know about the rules? This is a podcast best listened to with an open IMDb. We may talk about some people you've never heard of and you're going to want to look them up. We will be talking about a movie that you may not have seen. So spoiler alert. But also, if you haven't seen it, pause us right now and go watch it. I'm a little hesitant, actually, to recommend American Psycho to anybody and everybody. Because you, you might go watch it if you've never seen it and be like, what am I doing? That's okay. Um, now to the rules. Rule number one, no remakes, reboots, or long lost sequels. We can't do a movie that has already been redone in the last 20 years. And this includes franchises like Star Wars that pop back up with sequels every few decades. Rule number two, no imaginary casting. Our dream cast must be made up of actors that are alive and working today. That one doesn't really count this time. No. Because they had to have been alive and working in 1987. 1987. And no tender casting. We can't cast somebody just based on how they look. You have to have seen their work and be able to vouch for their talent. Kind of difficult this time. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I've had to watch a significant amount of bad 80s movies to really kind of lock down a lot of these people. Did you watch entire movies? No. I would just sort of zoom through on the actor that I was paying attention to. And I'll, and I'll talk about it um, when we talk about specifically the main character, Patrick Bateman. Um Let's get into it. All right, guys. Grab your Reaganomics for Dummies and your Rock and Roll Ayatollah t-shirt. Come back to 1987 for the reboot of American Psycho. Is that a gram? New card. What do you think? Picked them up from the printers yesterday. Good call, Ryan. That's bone. And the lettering is something called Cillian Rail. It's very cool, Bateman, but that's nothing. Look at this. <laughs> that is really super. How do nitwit like you get so tasteful? I can't believe that Bryce prefers Van Patten's card to mine. But wait. You ain't seen nothing yet. Raised lettering. Pale Nimbus. White. Impressive. Very nice. Mm. Let's see Paul Allen's card. Look at that subtle off-white coloring. A tasteful thickness of it. Oh my god. It even has a watermark. American Psycho stars Christian Bale as Patrick Bateman, Willem Dafoe as Detective Donald Kimball, Jared Leto, speaking of the Joker, as the Paul Allen, Reese Witherspoon as Evelyn Williams and Chloe Sevigny, Se Seven Sevigny, Sevigny as Patrick's assistant Jean. Jean, no last name. Um, speaking of recommending this movie, I actually watched this with someone who had not seen it. Oh boy! And I think if you give them a warning that the movie is a not a horror movie, really, and b it's also kind of like a black comedy satire mm -hmm. i think that will 
help their enjoyment of it because this movie has like a really low Rotten Tomatoes score. It's at really? like 60. It's in the 60s. And I think it's because people like when I first watched this movie, I remember watching this movie as a teenager. It was something that like my brother had rented. And like I remember watching it and being like, this movie sucks because it's not really scary. This person's just like insane. Mm. And then I remember watching it again, probably like two days later. And I was and I was laughing at a lot of it, which which is weird because it made me really appreciate the movie. But it also made me wonder, like, am, am I mentally <laughs> unstable? Like what? It was weird. Like if when you're like laughing at all of this darkness, mm-hmm. like and I'm not talking about like just the murder and his, you know, his um, sort of bloodlust. I'm talking about the people he hangs out with are also really depraved and horrible people but what is so important to them is really funny at times oh like the yeah res- getting the reservation how that's the most pinnacle thing in their lives god i hate this place the chick's restaurant why aren't we at doors yet because bateman won't give the maitre d head <laughs> is that reed robinson over there free basing or what that's not robinson well who is it then it's paul allen it's not paul allen Paul Allen's on the other side of the room over there. Oh, who's he with? I'm Weasel from Kicker P, buddy. They don't have a good bathroom to do coke in. And like the status that they have to seek at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, I'm I'm sure that this has already been played, but you know, the business card scene. The business card scene is one of the funniest scenes. One of my favorite lines in the business card scene is when um, Christian Bale pulls out his. Uh, his business card holder and Justin Thoreau is like, is that a gram? <laughs> He's so obsessed with drugs. It's really funny. Um, what else do we have? What else? What, what, what did um, you think about this movie? I, I first saw this movie when I was in grad school, actually, and it had just completely missed being on my radar at all. And when I watched it, I had a completely different response because I was like, how have I never seen this movie before? Like, this is the kind of movie that I love because mm-hmm. it it's it's so interesting I I think maybe it sort of came out at a time before we were fully ready to as a society appreciate a really black comedy mm-hmm. um since then things have gotten really dark but <laughs> this movie is an onion the deeper you look into it the more there is to look at yeah, um, I actually think this movie still holds up. Like, if we were oh, to yeah. have done a normal pod and we're like, we're going to recast it in 2018. Yeah, I think it absolutely. I like even the phone, like the phone stuff. Like, I still think it all would have been like, yeah, all these people still exist. I'm convinced that a, a Patrick Bateman is out there in the world. I think there's 100 percent army of them, really. But 100 percent. Um, yeah, I, I this this um this movie is. I hesitate to say one of my favorites, but it's definitely sort of a movie where when it's on, not only do I sit and watch it, but everyone else who has seen it kind of joins in and they're like, they also have a, a great deal of affection for it, which is I yeah. think really strange. It's funny. And the book is also incredible. The book is is actually more disturbing. There's a lot of time taken and care taken in describing everything that is in Patrick's mind, but it still has that same tone. There is an idea of a Patrick Bateman. Some kind of abstraction. But there is no real me. Only an entity. Something illusory. And though I can hide my cold gaze, and you can shake my hand and feel flesh gripping yours, and maybe you can even sense our lifestyles are probably comparable, I simply am not there. You've read the book? Mm, yeah. 
I've read the book. Okay, moving on. Okay, uh, uh, let's talk about the casting of this film. We were talking about it earlier. It was really fucking hard. Okay, so yeah, the challenge was to cast these characters as if the movie was being made in 1987. Yeah. Which is tough because honestly, I started looking up names that I was convinced were going to be perfect. And I realized that they were a lot younger. Me too. Than... I needed them to be. Almost every member of the Brat Pack was too young to play a 27-year-old. Yeah. And even like I was convinced Keanu Reeves was going to go on my list. And I looked him up. He's only like 22, 23 at the time. I had Rob Lowe. Yes. 23. Also looked up Rob Lowe. Weirdly, Patrick Swayze was too old. Yeah. And then and I was like, what? <laughs> uh, swinging the other way, I was like Kevin Costner. Uh-huh. He was like 36. Yeah. There, were, there, were, there was like this gap. It took a while to figure out how to find actors who worked. How did you do it? Um, eventually I just, uh, figured out when somebody would have had to have been born for them to be 26, 27, 28. And then I looked up actors born in 1958, Yep, (laughs) looked at a bunch of lists. It was like 58 to 60. No, no past 62. I don't know why it took me. I think I was just convinced that if I looked up popular movies at the time, that those stars would be the ones. Yeah. They were too young. So um, I'm going to jump in because I want to talk about the person I cast and um, I still am kind of kind of uh, bewildered that I picked him. But um, uh, I have my reasons. So I picked I picked Alec Baldwin, who was 29 at the time. OK, so he was a little. I have to look because this is this is the thing that happened every time too. every time I would find someone, I would look them up, be like Alec Baldwin, 1987 and see if I could find a picture. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing for your people. So I know what people out there are thinking like. Alec Baldwin today is big and fat and and like <laughs> it doesn't make doesn't, him any less valuable. Right, but, but um what's funny in terms of the Tinder rule, like let's just throw the Tinder rule out the window for a little bit. Um there's a very narrow gap from like 85 to 88 where Alec Baldwin was very svelte and um, I'm looking at a picture of him right now and it's great. And the thing that uh in terms of his performance I think what's most important about Patrick Bateman, other than the fact that he has no regard for human life and actively seeks to destroy it for his just to feel something, Mm -hmm. he wears a persona that is often charming Mm -hmm. and funny, yet also bland. And the one scene in particular that I kind of key into is, well, there's two. One, when he's riding with Evelyn and she asks him, why does he even work at his father's company? I hate that job anyway. See why you just don't quit. Because I want to fit in. And the second scene is at the end when he realizes that he's not getting caught, that he is like completely untouchable, that nothing really in this world is going to come and get him because no one wants to find him. They're not looking for him. They're looking for, I hate to say it, but they're looking for poor people. You know, they're mm-hmm. not looking for the ultra rich. They're not looking yeah. for the best and the brightest, as we like to say. But um, and so I thought Alec Baldwin could play sort of the charming mask, but also be really vicious and really manic. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I went with him. And, and he doesn't kind of bloat until a little bit after Beetlejuice. So you w- he would have to wax because he's a hairy guy. And Christian Bale looks like a straight up J. Crew model in this. Like he was very hard. Did to you recast. read? Did you read in the? Um, did you read the? What is the word? The trivia. trivia. Yeah. Uh, did you read the trivia? Mm-hmm. There is a really weird, uh, like trivia point on IMDb that says that Mary Heron said one time that when they shot the shower scene, 
that all the women on set came and like gathered yeah. to watch him. Yeah. And I was like, first of all, slightly okay with this because like in the reverse situation, I would not be, but like, come on women, take back the field, <laughs> you know? But it was also just like an odd thing to throw in there. Like she would just be like, yeah, everybody thought he was so hot. And I was like, yikes. I mean, it's Christian Bale. He's, he's, a, he's a little insane. So he probably thought it worked for his character. Do you think he's attractive in this movie? Oh yeah. 100%. Okay. Yeah. That he was has question- got cheekbones that could, cut diamonds that was a question from my girlfriend she was like ask henna what she thinks because i think she also <laughs> felt the same thing and felt bad about it because he's like a psychopath but i think that i think that's the whole uh, dichotomy of the role is that we get to see his inner life revealed yeah. film school 101 guys i went to film school um oh you went to uh, film school <laughs> i went to film school guys i have a degree um Yeah, we get to see that, but I feel like part of what we're supposed to experience with the character is that if you did not know that about him, you would never guess. Yeah. And honestly, you don't even care that he has a shit personality. No. Because he's gorgeous. He's wearing an impeccable suit. He has money and power and a great dinner reservation. (laughs) This is Dorothea? Good evening. Yes, dear. Courtney. You're going to have the peanut butter soup with smoked duck and mashed squash. New York matinee called it a playful but mysterious little dish. You'll love it. And then the red snapper with violets and pine nuts. I think that'll follow nicely. Mmm. Thanks, Patrick. And so I think that's cut. I think we're allowed to be like, yeah, he's super attractive because even though we see the worst part of him, what we're supposed to think is, does it really matter? Yeah. Um, I mean, it does matter, but it doesn't mean he's not attractive. I mean, people are obsessed with Ted Bundy, but. You mean Zach Efron? I thought that was a little insane that he talks about Ted Bundy's dog and Gene's like, who? And maybe I'm the crazy one, but it's 1987 and Gene doesn't know who Ted Bundy is. I just thought that was a little Um weird. Doesn't he also mention Ed Gein and they have no idea who Ed Gein is? Judge Lucas's character is like, Ed Gein, Mater D at the Canal Club? <laughs> See, that's what I'm talking about. These people are it's so funny. awful. It's so These funny. These people are so awful. Yeah, it's really funny. Okay, so who did you pick? I picked, I'll say it first and then I'll defend it. I picked James Spader. Okay. I, <laughs> I kept going back and forth on James Spader. Between Alec Baldwin and James Spader? Yeah. Here's the thing that I think, because honestly, and... I don't think we can help this. Our opinion of these actors, I think, comes with their whole... We're looking back at their whole career. So maybe at the time, we weren't looking at Alec Baldwin as someone who could do something really dark and really comedic. Yeah. Now we do, because we see that he has just a great gift for comedy. Yeah. I also feel the same way about James Spader. I couldn't stop thinking... First of all, 80s James Spader, 1987 James Spader, looks like a prep. He's gorgeous. He's He's got a great head of hair, beautiful face. He's stunning. But then I also couldn't stop thinking about Robert California. Yeah. And there was something specific. If you Robert California is the character James Spader plays in The Office. Who replaces Michael Scott. And he is a sociopath. <laughs> but the it they play it. He plays it so perfectly. He's one of my favorite characters in the show, which is controversial because he comes in later. Yeah. But I have always just been so impressed by what he was able to do with that, that I'm like, take that dark comedy that he brought to the office, 
stick it with his 1980s persona. And I think you have a really good Patrick Bateman. Bleachy. Yeah. Are you trying to yeah, say bleachy? Bleachy. Oh, oh, my God. Two things. One, you can't bleach a cheroot out of the question. Two, I can only get these sheets in Santa Fe. These are very expensive sheets, and I really need to clean If you don't shut your fucking mouth, I will kill you. Yeah, I... I am still thinking I should switch him back out, but you know, and I think the only reason I ultimately didn't pick him was so I, I pulled up a lot of the stuff that he was in. I pulled up Pretty in Pink. Mm-hmm. I pulled up Less Than Zero, another Brett Easton Ellis work, which I read the book. Okay. Um, and what was the other movie I pulled up? I watched some bits of like Sex Lies and Videotapes, which was in the nineties. Mm-hmm. I, I I pulled out like a lot of samples. And I just sort of felt that he was a little more psychotic and a little less charming. Like I, I didn't, I couldn't find the hmm. evidence of the charm I wanted. Okay, but I agree that he is definitely a great, great choice. And like, if he, he, if he had done like one comedy in that like four year window, I guess Pretty in Pink is a comedy, but it's really like a John Hughes comedy, which is yeah, more like it's a, teen a different drama. kind of. Um, I would have, I would have, it would have sealed it for me, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he made it on someone's list as the top dog. I'm the only other one here, so. We'll, we'll see. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe somebody will come running in like, yeah. no, I have a better Patrick Bateman. Um, I don't normally talk about this, but I, I thought about Kevin Bacon for a long time. Me too. And it just wasn't. It doesn't work. I well, here's the one that I was super convinced of because Nicolas Cage, yeah, would have been like just the roles he was playing at the time. They just would have been perfect, but he wasn't. Did you read the, part, this part of the trivia that Christian Bale based his Patrick Bateman off Tom Cruise? Tom Cruise. Because he's Tom dead Cru- inside. <laughs> specifically, Tom Cruise in real life. Yeah. Plus Nicolas Cage's performance in vampire a vampire oh yeah, yeah a vampire's yeah. kiss because he's or, insane because he's literally insane it's so you can see it when you because i read that bit of trivia and i was like yeah i see that because yeah. everybody says tom cruise is the nicest guy in hollywood people who have worked with him would shout it from the mountaintops and i believe honestly that it's true i believe he would not he would i believe he wouldn't do anybody wrong mm-hmm. But no matter what, when you're looking at him, even when he's when he's not acting, when he's just being himself, he is dead behind the eyes. Mm, yeah. It is like he is being mind controlled. Yeah. And come back to us, Tom. Don't get me started on that. But <laughs> it's fascinating. Well, you're both like, of them were too young. Yeah. Both of them were like 23, too, too 22. OK, let's move on to Detective Donald Kimball, played by Willem Dafoe, who was so good. He's so good and like when he shows up you're like why is willem dafoe playing a good guy but it works it's like strangely works personally i think the guy went a little nuts so split town for a while maybe he did go to london sightseeing drinking whatever anyway i'm pretty sure he'll turn up sooner or later i mean to think that one of his friends killed him for no reason whatsoever would be too ridiculous (laughs) isn't that right patrick i like willem dafoe is a good guy would we say he was a good guy in like Boondock Saints because he's a cop. Oh God, I haven't seen the movie in so long. We're gonna do it for the pod eventually. Okay. Um, okay. So one thing I thought was really interesting, just as a a choice that Mary Heron made, who directed this movie, guys. This movie was directed by a woman. A it's woman, kind of amazing. Which I think makes everything all the more hilarious, especially when they're like, 
no women have good personalities and they're like cracking themselves up about it. Um, she said that the way she directed Willem Dafoe in every scene was that she would have him do three different takes of each scene where in one take she thought that she wanted him to believe that Patrick did it. In one take she wanted him to believe that she, he didn't know and in one take she wanted him to believe that he did not do Are it. Are you reading my notes? We read the same trivia. That's exactly what I, my IMDb is a public <laughs> website. And it's so fascinating because she would take all three cuts she would take all three takes and cut them together so that the performance you get is baffling, but on purpose. And it's really cool because there are moments when I'm like, what, like, what is he doing? What is he talking about? And this one was a tough one as well. Cause I picked a couple of different names and just trying to find the person who I thought would have the right level of, uh, It's like they needed to be a serious actor, but mm-hmm. not too serious. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I picked Christopher Walken. Oh, yeah! yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we did it! Oh, now I'm bummed I didn't pick James Spader. We would have been We would have been for two, two for two. That would have been insane. Um, Absolutely. And here's another reason why I picked him for this role is because when Willem Dafoe like, sits in a room, mm-hmm. you really don't know which way he's going to go. No. And so I was trying to think of an actor who could do the exact same thing. When Christopher Walken gets into a room, he, you're just completely off balance because he's so unpredictable. Whether he's playing like a headless horseman or like an old time right. gangster or like a psychic, his whole look yeah. is just really off putting. And I think for Patrick specifically, even though it's not like he feels remorse for these murders, he just doesn't want to be caught initially. Uh-huh. That it really is so effective in that that way that you don't know which way Kimball is gonna is is thinking. Like he interrogates Patrick in a scene and then literally is just like, Well, that's it. It's just strange. One day someone's walking around, going to work, alive, and then nothing. People just disappear. The earth just opens up and swallows the eerie. Really eerie. The questions are so funny because he's so, uh, Patrick is so nervous and you're expecting him to be this like hard hitting, like, where were you? What were you doing? And he's just like, well, try to think about where you were. You're like, what kind of cop is this? Um, And he, his character is also very important because he's, he to me is the one person who really underlines the fact that none of these people know who the other person is. Yeah. None of these people, Paul Allen does not know Patrick Bateman is Patrick Bateman. Most of Patrick's friends think they're all other people. Patrick's lawyer thinks he's somebody else. Which let's we'll talk about the ending eventually, um, and just what it what it means. But yeah, I think there's like there are levels even to that statement. Like nobody knows who the other person is because nobody cares to know about them. Like that each of these men is engaged to a woman that they could not care less about. Oh, absolutely. It's purely the like society. Uh, aspect of like I'm with someone whose friends I hang out with so that we can all hang out together that's essentially it did you find yourself feeling somewhat happy for Patrick in that moment when he realizes that Evelyn isn't right for him but it's for like he tries to dump her for it's like the for the worst reasons though yeah you're like cheering him on because you're you're like like, this relationship (laughs) is not going anywhere what about the past our past we never really shared one no, I'm in, I'm in touch with humanity. Evelyn, I'm uh, sorry. I just, uh, you're not terribly important to me. Oh, no. No. 
It's oh, funny. Man. That's so great. I loved how we picked uh, <laughs> Christopher Walken. Um, so should we move on to Paul Allen? Or? Yes. Okay. One of the most famous victims of Patrick Bateman. Patrick's really only foil in this movie. Like the, <laughs> the one person who makes him feel an emotion, which is yeah. jealousy. He's got a better haircut. He's got a better business card. Better apartment. Better apartment. He got the big account. He has the reservation at Dorcia. He, are these restaurants real? Some of them are. Yeah, there's a there's like a couple lists from like Business Insider. And I think there's another one that was like tracking the restaurants of a American Psycho. Because they're the f- all gone now. Because all the food orders are fake. Like all these, all the foods that they're, which I think is a great cherry mm-hmm. on top of the movie. Just all the food they talk about is nonsense food. Yeah. Like no one would eat that. I liked that. Um, yeah. Paul, uh, I'm going <laughs> to, I always have the urge to say his name the way he says it. Paul Allen. <laughs> <laughs> he has such a great quality. Death. Okay. Oh yeah. That too. Um, but he has such he's he like Jared Leto actually is so uh, annoying in this role, you know the kind of what's the word I'm looking for? He's really pretentious. He's yeah, just yeah. so of all these pretentious men, he is the supreme. Mm-hmm. He's pretentious supreme. If if that was a Taco Bell <laughs> item, but, um, pretentious so, supreme. So that's that's kind of what I focused on. It's like he's he's the same as Patrick, just. Even more pretentious, mm-hmm. which is why I picked James Spader. <laughs> like, uh, just like James Spader has to be in my you fucking were movie. Switch. Yeah, okay. it was like no. Yeah, <clears throat> I think for me the thing I kept saying was he's got to be somewhat likable, but have a punchable face. Like we're not we're upset at the fact that Patrick is a a, a homicidal maniac. Yeah, we're not upset at the fact that he's experiencing jealousy. Because we're like, how many times have you have you been there? How many times have you had that person in your life where you're like, oh my gosh, if they could just like find new friends or get out of my life, like that would be great. It's a human thing. We get that. Their dinner scene at Texarkana is so <laughs> funny when they just they're like they treat the waiter like shit, but their drink order is so funny. It's so funny. And I was like, is that Ivana Trump? <laughs> Why would Ivana Trump be at Texarkana? But they it's do that so all the time. Funny. They don't know where they are. They don't know. They can. They don't have facial recognition. It's no. so he funny. Thinks, he thinks the whole time. He even mentions Patrick Bateman, whom he thinks is another person. Oh my God, it's and is so like, good. what a loser. Great tan, Marcus. I mean, really impressive. Where do you tan? Salon. I've got a tanning bed at home. You should look into it. And uh, uh, Cecilia. How is she? Where is she tonight? Cecilia's, uh, well, you know, Cecilia, I think she's having dinner with um, Evelyn Williams. Evelyn, great ass. Goes out with that loser Patrick Bateman. What a dork. (laughs) Another martini, Paul. So I, now that I've spilled the beans on my secret, I wanted to pick somebody that I liked, who I think would have been really, I think would have been really good, but at the same time, I had to have that little like tweak of like, yeah, I could punch this guy in the face. Yeah. I picked Kyle McLaughlin. Oh, that's really good. I actually thought this was a great find. He was 28 at the time. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I want to look like, I want, I want to look like Kyle McLaughlin. <laughs> I want to look up what he looked like. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, in the eighties. Yeah. I, I liked him for this. I yeah. like that. He again is also a funny guy, a guy who gets it. And who I think could almost do the thing that Jared Leto does, which is overplay the character because he's not 
there very long, but you want him to make yeah, an impression. Yeah, he's memorable. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Kyle Mc- McLaughlin. Am I saying that right? Uh, you literally just told me, and I, who now is I'm this looking guy? at now I'm looking at the word Kyle McLaughlin. McLaughlin. Yeah, he's in the original Dune, mm-hmm. uh, Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. He was recently in um, Agents of Shield. Portlandia. Portlandia. He's the mayor in Portlandia. Yeah. They did a Twin Beaks. Twin Beaks. Twin Beaks. Twin Peaks reboot. Mostly you should know him from Twin Peaks. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, That's a great pick. Yeah. No. I like him a lot. I think he's a great actor and I think it'd be a lot of fun to see him do something like this. Also his death scene is... It's funny. It's It's funny. funny. And I think that's the thing that I love about this movie is that even for people who would watch it and be like, that is so awful. Like, there's something about it that you're like rolling along with him. I know what I love. He's so drunk and he's like, is that a raincoat? (laughs) The scene, like Paul's death scene is like very iconic. But the thing I love most is when Patrick has to go to Paul's apartment. And he's like narrating everything and mm-hmm. it's just like, it's stressing him out. Uh-huh. But then he like leaves a voicemail on the machine. Hi, this is Paul. Been called away to London for a few days. Meredith, I'll call you when I get back. Hasta la vista, baby. Like and he so... just gets up and runs out. It's so good. <laughs> uh, okay, speaking of girlfriends that... Th- yeah, let's get to the women. That I guess... Matt- the, the thing is, it's like, it's not that the movie doesn't treat women well. It doesn't, that they, there's no supporting characters in this movie, like no. strong supporting characters. Yeah, they. it's just they, the women are used in a particular way. And the women that at least run in Patrick's social circle, mm-hmm. specifically Evelyn, um, you just get the sense that these people are just the same. Yeah. Like any one of these people could be mass murderers. They're all probably mass murderers. <laughs> um, so I, I just thought that like Evelyn is such an interesting character because of how she... I know she's not dumb, but she's just as shallow. Oh, yeah, she's very shallow. And I think Reese Witherspoon does a really good job of being his equal in the sense that, like, the first time we see them together outside of the car when they're meeting her friends, mm-hmm. um, their friends, and he's like, she's sleeping with my best friend, and it's okay because I'm sleeping with her best friend, and everybody just sort of knows and nobody cares. Yeah. Because this is how we live our life. Right. Yeah, everybody's the same. Everybody's a mass murderer. Anyway, I picked Julianne Moore. Oh, okay. Because I think she's phenomenal. She's Julianne Moore. Oscar <laughs> Oscar winner, Julianne Moore? She won an Oscar, right? For Still Alice? I don't I don't know. Um well she should have, even if she didn't. Um yeah, I mean she is stunning. I looked up pictures of her in the eighties and I was like, great. Just tease her hair up a little bit and we're good. I yeah. liked her a lot. I mean, she's an incredible actress. I think the only uh, thing I take umbrage with is I loved how Evelyn was really waspy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that. I know it's not like Tinder casting, but I feel weirdly like that's really important. I don't I, like, know. The 80s like, loved redheads. Yes. The 80s. You know what the 80s loved? Really high waisted bathing suits. Yeah. Have you been watching Glow? <laughs> I've watched Glow. For sure I watched Glow. Uh, it's a great show. It's well written. That's Leotrix. what I'm saying. It's a very well written show. Season um, two is actually really remarkable and we'll stop talking about yeah. it. It was very good. Um, I, I picked an actress who I thought could kind of do what Reese Witherspoon did do really it. well. Do it. Which was, you know, kind of play. I mean, we talked about her a lot, but she, she really 
doesn't like when when Evelyn comes on screen, she just cares about like appearances and like making like the potbelly pig scene is the Christmas party scene is so oh my funny. Gosh. Stop scowling, Patrick. You're such a Grinch. What does Mr. Grinch want for Christmas? And don't say breast implants again. So I needed someone to be kind of cheery mm-hmm. as well. Um, so I picked Meg Ryan. Okay. Yeah. It was just strange. Like I, it wasn't my first choice, but I was like, she really is kind of bubbly a lot of times, despite the and fact that her boyfriend sense. is terrible. Yeah. Um, Meg Ryan at the time was 26, so a little older than Reese was, mm-hmm. but had already done the incredible movie Inner Space, which is on our list, which is... I've never seen this before. You've never seen it? Mm-mm. Martin Short, Meg Ryan, Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid pilots a machine that shrinks down and is injected into Martin Short. It's incredible. What? I think. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Yeah. Oh, that's not a good sign. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to like this. Um, so I picked Meg Ryan because I, I thought she could be a little more glowing while still be mm-hmm. uh, really just vapid. No, I think that's a really good choice. Thanks. And the 80s loved Meg Ryan. So. That's true. It's a hit. It's a hit. All right. Let's move on to Jean. Jean, Jean poor Jean. Doesn't Who even I, have a last name. I think is probably the most important female character in the movie. She's the only one who actually sees who Patrick is. Yeah, that's true. Like, which again, we'll talk. We'll talk about the ending in full. Right. There's a couple characters who key into who Patrick really is, like all his dealings. But mm-hmm. she's the only one who it's like, who, who was who's like scared, who was like, sitting in his apartment and is probably thinking about that yeah. at the end of the movie when yeah. she's like, "Uh, this man could For have sure. murdered me." Go. Okay, so watching Gene. You know, we, 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 listeners, Ken and I live in LA. We work in the, we work in the industry. <laughs> and I just kept feeling so bad for this assistant. As yeah. <laughs> it's like, man, assistant life really fucking sucks sometimes. Actually, I sort of loved when we first meet her and he's like, I need a reservation here for this and here for this and here for this. And then he was just like, never mind, I'll do it. And I was like, if that was me. I'd be like, great. <laughs> I'd say this if a boss of mine commented on what I should or should not wear in an office, I would dropkick that person immediately. I legitimately would quit on the spot if someone was like, you should wear high heels. I like high heels. I'd be like, great. You wear high heels. Um, okay. So I ping ponged between a couple actresses. Um, I ultimately settled on an actress who I have been in love with since I was a child. Oh, wow. Um, and I picked her because she... and and. Most of the performances I've seen her in, she can be kind of quiet, but she has kind of this real innocence to her. I am a little concerned we picked the same person. Concerned? <laughs> um, and I wanted I wanted that moment where Jean goes to the apartment and doesn't really know what's happening to her to mm-hmm. kind of really build. And when he starts asking her questions, she very innocently like opens up to him because yeah. she's like, I don't know what else to do. Um, I, I, I might have picked her because I kinda, you know, kind of had a crush on her when I was a kid, but um, I think she's a really great actress, but disappeared after the 80s. So it was really weird. Like she was kind of an iconic mm-hmm. actress at the time and then just like vanished. So I picked Mia Sarah. If you oh, don't know her, she was the girlfriend of Ferris yeah. Bueller's Day Off. She really did disappear. She literally was just like, she did like, she did Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Legend, she did, I think she did like two more big movies and then it was just like January 1st, 1990 struck and Hollywood was like, <laughs> she disappeared. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> she has to go back now. Um, so that's um, what I picked because I, th- I thought it would be interesting to have um, someone 
who was a little younger than uh, Chloe. Chloe Sevigny was 26 at the 26. time. And I mm-hmm. thought like having someone younger, a little more naive might, might, might be a little interesting. I think that's the really interesting thing about the way Chloe Sevigny plays the character is that she's 26, but she seems like she could be 21, 22. Yeah. She's playing it very innocently. Not like she's not about herself, but still that sort of like her boss is very attractive and he asks her to go to dinner. That was so creepy. And she doesn't. And she's like, I'm not going to say no. Let's not think about what I want. How about anywhere you want? I don't know, Patrick. I can't make this decision. Come on. Where do you want to go? Anywhere you want. Just say it. I can get us in anywhere. What about... Dorcia? So, Dorcia is where Gene wants to go. It was so creepy because he's just wearing sunglasses the whole time. Ugh. Did you notice that? And he's just like not, he's just not there. And he does the thing where he, yeah, where he calls Dorcia and they're like, we don't have a reservation. And he's like, great, I'll see. And then she's like, you didn't give them your name. But then he's just like, they know me. <laughs> it's like, they know me. This isn't now where you like give your phone number and people at restaurants are like, here's your name and your social security number. We've kept you on file. Yeah, you have to sign up for open table. Like. <laughs> so they can know you. Um, the reason I thought we might have picked the same person is because this, the person I picked is in one of your absolute favorite movies. Maybe your favorite movie. Oh, no. Who I think also does a really good job, even though she was also, she would have been also 26 at the time. I think she does a really good job of portraying a sort of innocence that I think would have been really fun. I picked Leah Thompson. Thompson. Leah Thompson, Thompson, if you don't if you don't know who we're talking about, she's in Back to the Future. She plays the mom in Back to the Future. She plays uh, yeah, Lorraine. the young mom. Yeah. Um, she also surprisingly kind of vanished in the nineties, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of these starlets she kind of sort like of came back. Like Molly Ringwald kind of vanished. Molly Ringwald. Oh, well, was Leah like, Thompson was in. Um, she had that sitcom for a long, long time. Caroline in the City. What? She had a long-standing com- like I don't comedy in. But sure. Well, you have a lot of TV watching to do. Um, <laughs> I no. really do, actually. No, I like that pick. Leah Leah Thompson's great. Yeah, I think she would. I think she would pull it off. Um, this was fun. I liked having a. It was actually hard, but it was the kind of fun. I feel like once I found sort of the the linchpin that I could build the cast off of, I had a lot yeah. of fun trying to figure out not just who fit, but who worked. Right. Yeah. Well, we still have one more guy to get to, so why don't we get to it? It's time Our for favorite guy. Favorite guy. <laughs> Guys, where does Barry Pepper go? So we were talking before this podcast that you casted Barry Pepper at his age today. Because Barry Pepper would have been 17 in 1987. Yeah, I casted him as a 17-year-old. That doesn't make you better than me. Sure it does. <laughs> I'm thinking outside the box, so but why don't you go first? Um, so I cast Barry Pepper as Harold Carnes, who is uh, Patrick's lawyer, who we only really see at the end when he, again, we we got to talk about the ending, but he he sees him and thinks he's a different person. Yeah. And really, who is Patrick Bateman? Um, but it's sort of a funny moment where I just think, because Barry Pepper's not a big comedic guy, I think he could give a really true performance. Yeah. Um, so I casted Barry Pepper in a very small part, and the reason I put him in this is because I figured a 17-year-old kid in New York probably would have been able to get into a club, but I cast him as the man in the stall 
<laughs> who screams at them. Can you keep it down? I'm trying to do drugs. And then Justin Theroux goes like bananas at him. Um, he's had like one hit and he's losing his mind. <laughs> so I figured like, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Like if a teenager like snuck into like a nightclub and like. I'm trying to do drugs. <laughs> um, Can we give Justin Theroux his due? Yeah. You know, I have a couple of honorable mentions, which I haven't done okay. in a long time. But uh, I love Justin Theroux in this movie. He's so funny. He's so funny. Well, what about the massacres in Sri Lanka, honey? Doesn't that affect us too? I mean, do you know anything about Sri Lanka? How like the Sikhs are killing like tons of Israelis over there? I think it's him who says it. They're at drinks and he's like, we should get a reservation. I'm not really hungry, but I'd like to have reservations. <laughs> and he also has like a great, great poignant moment at the end where they're talking about Reagan. Uh-huh. And he's like, how can, he, how can he lie like this? You know, he presents such a like. A it's like a true end. moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just the camera just pushes in on Patrick. OK, so real quick, honorable mentions for Timothy Price, played by Justin Thoreau. I picked Judd Nelson because mm-hmm. he's he was probably on the, list. the funniest person that is also a serious. I don't know. I, I just it's Judd fucking Nelson. Yeah. He would have been in this movie for sure. Uh, Louis Carruthers. I picked Matthew Broderick. Oh, that's actually really good. Um, and then Christy, the unfortunate uh, <laughs> oh, sex worker yeah. who survives Patrick and then ultimately doesn't survive Patrick. I pick Rosanna Arquette. That's a really good choice. Thank you. Um, so why don't we get to the... I have a little couple bits, but this pod is running long. So why don't we just talk about the end? And if we have time, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. Here's the thing. We don't know what happens at the end. I don't know what happens at the end. I fully accept that I don't understand the end. But I think what I draw from it is what we talked about earlier, which is that he comes to a point where he is okay with the fact that he is going to get caught. He has pushed the limit too far and it's going to happen. And then it doesn't. And he now has to come to terms with the fact that he is never going to get caught. People just aren't going to look for who he is. And even though Jean is going through the the scribbles Mm -hmm. of his murders, I do not think that she is going to do anything with that information other than leave, other than immediately leave and like never return. Here's the big, big question. Do you think he really did it or do you think his drawings are his like fantasies that he is just constantly murdering people? That's a really good question because when he is like before his confession and he's, you know, tries to feed an ATM a cat. Yeah, it's a surreal moment. It's a surreal moment. And he like shoots at some cops and the cops just like explode. It's outrageous. He looks at the gun like what What? is going on? Yeah. And so he when he has this kind of nervous breakdown and then the next morning, like people don't recognize him and like nothing's really happening. And he walks into Paul's apartment and like nothing is there anymore. There were bodies hanging in the closet Um, and they're gone. I choose to believe that he did do it. I choose to believe that he actually has a psychosis because I think the statement that says that the world is actually sicker than him Mm -hmm. to say that like a person could do this and get away with it if he has X, Y, Z amount of money, status, power, influence, it doesn't matter Yeah, because the world is sicker than him. He's a product of his environment and not the other way around. Like if he had worked a hundred floors lower in his building, Mm -hmm. He would be going to jail for the yeah. world. He would be getting executed. And so I, I assume that it, it did happen. I, I do think that there is some surreal moments because he is kind of he is a psychopath. But I do think that it I do choose to think that it happened. But I do see the idea that like maybe none of it's happened and he's mm-hmm. just sort of Who knows? losing it. Yeah, I have a lot of stuff, but we don't have time. So why don't we just say our goodbyes? Kenna, where can the people find this podcast and us on social media? What a great question. 
You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or really wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a search. You can find us on social media together as one, at The Boot Podcast on Twitter and at Boot Podcast on Instagram. You can find us separately because sometimes you don't want both of us, at Flim B and at Kenna Trent. Guys, check out our other episodes. We'll be back next week with a brand new reboot. Please subscribe, please rate, please tell your friends, and we'll see you next time. Keep a rocking and a rolling. <laughs> That's not okay. You might think I'm crazy, but I don't even care. Cause I can tell what's going on. It's hip to be square. It's hip to be square. I pack my fans and in a suit. I watch them on TV. Where are you going? Just leaving. But where? I have to return some videotape.